Hello and welcome back to the Blockchain.com podcast. My name is Garrick Heilman. I'm the head of research at Blockchain.com and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. One of the crypto categories that has attracted the greatest degree of interest over the past 12 months are decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs, D-A-Os. But what exactly are DAOs? To discuss, we brought on G. Clay Miller from Penrose Partners. And on this episode, we talk about the main characteristics and benefits of DAOs, why we should pay attention to DAOs, and what are some of the risk factors associated with them. G. Clay, welcome back to the blockchain.com podcast. It's great to have you here again. Yep. Thank you so much for having me back, Eric. I was uh, very honored to be invited for a second round after the NFT one. So excited to be here. Great. Well, we're here to talk about another topic that is attracting a lot of attention and where there's also a ton of confusion. So we're going to try to break down today, especially for those who are new to uh, crypto and, and this topic, what exactly are DAOs, DAOs, or Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. Just one more time, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, DAOs. It's a mouthful. Uh, G. Clay, what is a DAO? Yeah, good, good question, Garrick. And you know, when I, I try to explain this to my my friends and family that are new to the space, I often get the feedback that I sound like a conspiracy theorist. So that is not the goal of this conversation. As you say, I, I have uh, tried to structure our chat today at a very high level, more of the you know key definitions and theoretical you know frameworks that people can use to understand DAOs. But to jump right in, like as you said, DAOs stand for Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, and they are a brand new and flexible combination of technologies that some believe may enable potentially limitless number of use cases. They present a novel approach to organizational structuring and are challenging traditional notions of the corporate form. And I think for people who have never heard of this phrase or term before, the simplest comparison is to an LLC or an LLP, right? Limited liability corporation or limited liability partnership. These other types of organizational structures or entities, except that DAOs are the newest type of corporate form and they're the first internet or digital native of their kind. We have some, oh, go ahead. No, no, that's great. Please continue. Yeah, so some popular definitions that you know are circulating online, one from the Internet Policy Review, a DAO is a blockchain-based system that enables people to coordinate and govern themselves mediated by a set of self-executing rules deployed on a public blockchain and whose governance is decentralized, i.e. independent from central control. And Ethereum defines DAOs as an effective and safe way to work with like-minded folk from around the globe and you can think of them as internet native businesses that are collectively owned and managed by their members. They have built in treasuries and nobody has the authority to access without approval from the entire group and decisions are governed by proposals and voting to ensure the entire, everyone in the organization has a voice. And I think at their most basic level, the term is being used to describe a group of individuals pursuing a shared goal, using a blockchain to facilitate their decision-making process. And this group is bound together by a set of rules which are hard coded and enforced on a blockchain through the use of smart contracts. Smart contracts are really the backbone of any DAO and smart contracts are these programs that automatically self-execute transactions between two anonymous parties when specific conditions are met. 
Awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, the three words uh, that comprise DAOs, decentralized, autonomous, and organizations, we, we covered, I think, really well the organization side of it. On the autonomous side of it, um, you know, you mentioned automation and kind of rules that kind of help govern uh, how, how these operate. So they're, they're less um, maybe, uh, you know, independent or, 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 you know, influenceable by, by, you know, a centralized leadership. And that kind of leads to the first term decentralized where, you know, these aren't traditional hierarchical organizations with a CEO and a board of directors necessarily, although they may kind of be less decentralized in their early days than maybe what they aspire to down the road as they kind of become more, more decentralized over time. So let's, let's move on now to what are the main characteristics and benefits of decentralized autonomous organizations? Yeah, so I think the benefits of DAOs are that they're a vehicle for transparency, efficiency, and anonymity within a collective, and potentially present more democratic ways to organize corporate entities. So some of DAOs most notable characteristics, as the name you know, might imply, they're decentralized in that they run on blockchains and give decision-making power to stakeholders instead of a single centralized entity in a leadership position. They're autonomous through the use of smart contracts, these applications on blockchains that trigger an action given that certain conditions are satisfied, which retire the need for human intervention. You know, in terms of autonomous in relation to work operations, I think you can think of signing contracts and sending money. You know, every business has to do that. With the use of smart contracts, you can code your DAO so that the second funds hit your treasury, you enact a protocol change in your technology without a human ever needing to sign a contract or approve that funds were received. Next, they're transparent. By transparent, I mean that they're developed on open source code so that members can access the network's rules and participation standards and all transactions on that blockchain to date. And then finally, there is no hierarchical structure in DAOs. DAOs are comparable to a company without a CEO. Decisions about an organization's trajectory are made by stakeholders casting votes on proposals through the use of governance tokens, which we can dive into a little bit later, but you will never hear of a CEO of a DAO. DAOs just don't have CEOs. Many don't even have senior managers or employees. The terms that we use in the DAO space for uh, people working toward a DAO's mission are contributors and facilitators who help coordinate the work. And instead of departments or uh, um, uh, you know, verticals within a company, we call them guilds or pods, pods short for people organizing decentrally. And at their core, DAOs enable strangers to pseudonymously come together over the internet in a seamless manner to manage, organize, and build together online. Given their characteristics, DAOs decrease the potential for abuse of power and instead promote enhanced collaboration, innovation, and experimentation within organizations. And while there's certainly a bit of uncertainty regarding the legality and security of DAOs, some believe that this organizational structure will rise to prominence and possibly even replace traditionally structured businesses as our world moves more and more online. Yeah, yeah, let's let's uh, we're going to get get into the why we should pay attention to them in, a, in just a second. I just want to come back to a couple of things you mentioned there. So the transparency in terms of a benefit, I want to just give a, a concrete example of that. So we, we see DAOs often used to raise funds. There was this famous 
uh, well-publicized effort to, to buy a copy of the US Constitution via DAO. So funds were raised collectively from around the world. And, uh, and, and one of the um, interesting benefits of DAOs and, and trade-offs actually is their transparency. So because these exist on the open internet and people can go and look at you know, how much money that DAO has raised to buy this copy of this constitution, this degree of transparency you've mentioned, uh, you know, it offers more accessibility, more ways for people to audit what the DAO is actually doing than say a traditional crowdfunding platform where funds get moved into a bank account and, and no one can really see those funds. They can't confirm that they actually are there still uh, or how much money has been raised. And, and so there's this visibility that you get with DAOs that is uh, you know, unparalleled and, and, and totally new from a crowdfunding perspective. But at the same time, in a, in a competitive bidding process like we saw with the Constitution DAO in this effort to buy this copy uh, that Ken Griffin from Citadel ultimately won, he was able to, of course, see exactly how much money the DAO had raised and bid, and bid just beyond that. So, so transparency can sometimes cut both ways, uh, but it does offer something really, really new and innovative uh, from a crowdfunding perspective that certainly can give people who are contributing funds more visibility into, you know, is the money still there? How much money is being raised? Is it being transferred? You know, things you traditionally just could not do on a, on a closed centralized crowdfunding platform. Yep, yep, so, you're absolutely right, Derek. And, you know, as you say with the transparency example, there are trade-offs between DAOs and traditional organizations and even trade-offs for how you design your DAO, right? Whether you're willing to sacrifice efficiency for fairness and, and balanced voting rights or transparency, as you say, for your community members, but risk being, you know, losing competitive advantages to competitors that are able to audit your operations as well. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, let's let's now talk about why there's so much attention on DAOs, why why these are so exciting, and why we should continue to pay attention to them. I mean, I think at a really high level, DAOs are important and we should pay attention to them because they're transforming traditional centralized business models. They're setting the stage for new models of ownership and governance to emerge, and they reflect some really interesting current debates. So let's get into those one at a time. In terms of new business models, for the first time in history, strangers are able to build a product and coordinate unprecedented amounts of money without ever having to meet in person, sign contracts, or even really know one another's names. DAOs create economic incentives that help align hundreds or even thousands of people without the need for formal rules or recruitment. And as a result, these open source projects are able to fund and scale operations at a much faster rate compared to traditionally governed organizations. This rapid scaling opportunity enables innovations in the Web3 marketplace to grow exponentially, and it also allows for the ability of emergence. And emergence is this popular term in the space that's used to describe ways that creative or novel ideas can more easily emerge from the bottom up through a DAO's collective hive mind rather than solely from top-down directives from senior managers at large corporations. Now, second, with regards to community ownership and governance, DAOs are leveraging the merits of the ownership economy. Ownership via employee stock option plans have traditionally been a part and powerful tool for incentivizing talent. However, in traditional businesses, these options are not widely accessible. They're usually reserved for early employees and investors, and this can result in poor alignment between internet platforms and their end users. 
Ownership is a compelling motivator for users to contribute to products in more meaningful ways, be it with ideas, resources, or membership. And this cooperative model ensures better alignment with users and fuels creation of larger, more resilient platforms. And a significant advantage of DAOs is that they mitigate the principal agent dilemma. This is a very popular concept in political science and economics. And this dilemma refers to a conflict in priorities between a group, i.e. a principal, and those who make decisions on the principal's behalf, i.e. an agent. And a plethora of principal agent conflicts occupy the traditionally capitalized organization, sometimes to the point of insolvency or bankruptcy. DAOs are able to solve this dilemma through community governance. Stakeholders do not need to trust any agent acting on their behalf because they're working collectively within a group whose incentives are aligned. And now finally, the third reason I think we should be paying attention to DAOs is simply because they reflect really interesting and hot button current debates. Debates over labor rights and the power of large corporations, debates around antitrust laws and competition in our economy, questions about the future of work and what work will look like as we move increasingly online, as well as fundamental questions about how we order and organize our society in the digital age. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, if I would just add to that, I, I think one of the things that's really exciting about DAOs is, you know, this this kind of idea that you know you don't have to necessarily be, you know, a multimillionaire to participate in advancing or or accessing early stage technology from an investment perspective. And this is debatable. You know, some of these rules that have been set up historically are are, are meant to safeguard the so-called little guy investor from um, you know, the sharks in the investment world. Um, but one of the negative outcomes there is it's also restricted access uh, for the, the little guy uh, in, in terms of being able to, to engage and invest in and take some risks in accessing early stage technology. And that's been where a lot of the amazing uh, returns and opportunities have been. And, and so DAOs do kind of open the door for, for folks to, to participate more directly and globally and things and I, that global dimension too is, I think, another another really important phenomenon. You know, you don't have to reside, you know, in the same country as the DAO. If if you can even conceive of a, a DAO living in a country, it's it's on the internet. It's you know, the internet's often kind of thought of as its own kind of country, and uh, it's global. And uh, I mean, the sums of money that are being raised uh, for these DAOs, uh, you know, the Constitution DAO we mentioned earlier, that was in the tens of millions. There's projects that have gone into the hundreds of millions. Have we have we seen a billion dollar plus DAO yet, or is that that not quite happened? I don't think that's happened quite yet, but I would not I would not bet against it being a reality in the next five or ten years. Yep. Yeah. No, uh, me neither. Wouldn't surprise me if we see that even this year. So let's get into the mechanics a bit, uh, the actual functionality of how DAOs work, and this is where I think we can maybe also start to unpack this term decentralized. Uh, because I think that's one of the concepts just in general in crypto that people really struggle with because it is such a kind of new and, and somewhat foreign kind of concept. You know, we're, we're so used to hierarchical organizations that have leaders, that have a headquarters, uh, you know, that, that have, um, a, you know, a door they can, can, can go and knock on, you know, to, to get answers to questions. And, and, you know, as we talk through how actually a DAO functions with the voting, the participation, I think we'll start to better understand uh, this concept of decentralization, which is really an, an important part and an evolving part of what, a, what, what it means to be a, a DAO.
Yes, I agree. And I think, you know, it, it is important before, before we get into this to distinguish between DAOs that come to be entirely decentralized vis-a-vis -vis organizations and businesses that start off centralized and then issue a governance token or, or update their, their protocol to become decentralized. And so I'll try to explain how exactly DAOs work by comparing them to starting a, a traditional organization. And Great. just like any organization, a DAO can only work given a set rule, uh, given a set of rules and guidelines. And while DAOs are mostly autonomous, they need to originate through some group of people who agree on and design their foundational rules. So these rules are usually formed by either a founder, a core team of community members, or early founding team of a, of a company that design and draft their rules later to be added to a smart contract. Now, these smart contracts laid the foundational framework by which a DAO and its members can operate. And we can think of these similar to the founding corporate documents that you create when founding a company. Documents and rules that outline organizational structure, decision-making processes, dispute resolutions, shareholder distribution power, et cetera, et cetera. Except these contracts are highly accessible and auditable so that any potential new member of a DAO can read them and understand how that organization or protocol works. Now, once these rules have been agreed upon, the next step is to hard code them onto the blockchain and secure funding. Just like a normal company will have an idea, they'll set their mission, they'll uh, incorporate their organization. The next thing that they usually need to do is find some capital so that they can hire their first employees, start building their product, invest in other products, you name it. And the way that DAOs are able to raise these funds is through the issuance of governance tokens. So the way this works is when a DAO is ready to come into existence or a regular organization is ready to decentralize, they can issue tokens whereby community members are able to buy them on the market and trade their fiat or existing cryptocurrencies for this new governance token, which awards voting rights proportional to that person's holding. So therefore, the more a person spends contributing to a DAO, either through money or labor, the more influence they have on that project's operations. And then finally, the last step is to deploy. At this step, the code is pushed into production and can no longer be altered by any means beyond a consensus obtained through member voting. So this is where those governance tokens come into play. Voting is conducted through the use of allocating either governance tokens to a proposal or to what some are starting to call protocol politicians, which are people within DAOs that you can allocate your votes to and then they make decisions on behalf of the group. And at this point, DAOs become almost completely independent from their creators and their fate really rests in the hands of the community of governance token holders. Yep. And, and there's, there's communication that goes on as well amongst these token holders where ideas are proposed and uh, discussed and debated. Can you just talk a little bit about that, where that occurs and, and, and uh, how, that, how that kind of contributes to kind of running these DAOs and evolving and changing them over time? Yeah, of course. So communication is a big one, but communication is really just one of multiple pillars of what people are bucketing as DAO tools. 
DAO tools mm -hmm. are like these new form of uh, software that help DAOs coordinate, I'm sorry, coordinate their own internal operations, but also communicate and coordinate with other DAOs in the ecosystem. So in, as far as communication goes, I would say that the big platforms where DAO members or community members are coordinating their work are usually within uh, Discord or Telegram servers or channels. This can also yep. sometimes take place on Twitter, but I would say Discord, Telegram, and Twitter are the, the three primary places online where DAO members are, are coordinating with one another. Yep, yep, definitely. Great. So, so just to yeah, summarize there, we've got uh, tokens, which confer rights to, to vote on proposals and, and other governance models, discussion. Um, so, so yeah, DAOs do involve a degree of participation uh, from its from its members, and and um, you know, as we see in the you know the the everyday world of voting and elections, it can be sometimes challenging also to get everyone to to actively participate, uh, you know, and, and vote in elections, and and we see that 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 also reflected to some degree as well with DAOs, where uh, voting participation is not always a hundred percent, and and uh, that's another. Another another angle just to be aware of. Yeah, you're you're preaching to the choir, Garrick. I think, as you know, I used to be a professional political organizer. Ironic, yeah. <laughs> ironically, for for one of the most uh, anti-crypto politicians currently, um, Senator Elizabeth Warren. I was uh, an organizer in Iowa for the Iowa caucus, and my sole job was to convince people to turn out to vote in the primary. And uh, you would be shocked at the levels of of voter apathy even when you're only voting once or twice a year politically, right? So now imagine a, an operation where people are putting forward dozens of proposals a day to be able to keep track of and, and stay informed and be available to cast votes uh, efficiently within DAOs is one of the big uphill challenges that they're facing. And that's why they're currently experimenting with different forms of governance, different, different forms of voting, you know, whether it's, um, uh, you know, sort of like a majority rules or a one person, one vote or a first past the post or a ranked choice voting. Like these are all things that DAOs are currently researching and building into their design to reduce their community's burden with voting, because we, we do know that voter apathy is a, is a big challenge uh, historically. Trusted by millions since 2011, Blockchain.com has crossed over 1 trillion in crypto transactions and facilitates around one third of all Bitcoin network transactions. Securely store, trade and buy Bitcoin, Ethereum and other top cryptocurrencies on the Blockchain.com wallet and exchange. Go to Blockchain.com to get started today. Yeah, or or proxying your your votes to someone who you trust or an exactly. organization. Yeah, you trust. These are all all very important elements of this. Well, you know, G Clay as a as an economic historian, I, I of course uh, want to touch on the history here, and I, I think uh, history is often helpful for people to kind of understand the background of how things come into existence, how we got to where we are today. So let's uh, let's briefly kind of get into the history of uh, DAOs and uh, where some of the thinking arose from and, and kind of how we, how we uh, came to here in 2022, this, this point where, wow, DAOs are considered one of the you know, most exciting kind of features of the crypto landscape. 
Yeah, I'm with you. We have to understand the understand history done to be able to understand and predict the future. So, you know, DAOs, despite their their short history, have actually been mentioned in the field of organizational theory uh, since about the 70s. The first real reference to actual decentralized autonomous organizations started to emerge in the 1990s, but were used to describe multi-agent systems in an Internet of Things environment. But the term as we know it today really only emerged around 2013, 2014 in Vitalik Buterin's Ethereum white paper and later his article, DAOs, DACs, and DAs. I suggest anyone that's new to DAOs and, and curious about getting started uh, refer to these two foundational documents. But the term really only finally started to enter the crypto community's lexicon in 2016 around the formation of the DAO, which you mentioned was this, um, you know, this large spectacle where the Ethereum community raised over $150 million. Uh, later, this, this DAO, which was acting as like a large venture capital organization, suffered one of the biggest hacks. This led to the forking of Ethereum. It's a big, big part of the uh, you know, Ethereum especially, but the crypto community in general's history. And there's actually been a lot of conversation around this lately because um, uh, blockchain journalist and, and fellow podcaster Laura Shin in her recent book uh, identified the identity of the person who, who hacked and, and uh, discovered the vulnerability in the DAO. But today, uh, DAOs are rapidly growing in popularity really only over the last year or two. And already more and more organizations are forming as DAOs and reimagining how their stakeholders can perceive ownership. In August of 2022, the amount of locked positions in the DAO market was only around $55 million. Fast forward to this February 2022, and it's estimated that there are over 4,000 DAOs in existence with more than $8 billion under management in total. And I think this rising trend can be attributed to several factors. Fundamentally, I think there's been an increase in the public education and awareness of DAOs and their benefits. And additionally, the tools that DAOs use to coordinate, these DAO tools that I, I mentioned previously around coordination, treasury management, voting, they're really only beginning to come to maturity today with new options uh, being developed and, and uh, funded weekly. But on the other hand, we've also seen a pretty dramatic macro shift in the global economy as a result of COVID-19. Of course, COVID-19 is this lens and framework which we're understanding so much of the change that's happening around us today, but it really started to force organizations to adopt more transparent, collaborative, and flexible operations when working online and remotely. And those are a lot of the things that uh, DAOs aim to achieve. In the last year or two, we've started to see the major headline DAOs, as you mentioned, Constitution DAO, probably most, most notable in the last year or two raised $47 million of Ether, was outbid on a, a unique copy of the Constitution. And then after that, Pleaser DAO uh, bought a cultural, culturally significant item in the one and only copy of the Wu-Tang Clan's uh, A Night in Shaolin for about $4 million. And these big cultural moments started to push DAOs into the mainstream's attention and give people an idea of how they could be used. But global yep. pandemic aside, I think more generally we're on the brink of a creative revolution fueled by people that are now armed with the financial and technical tools to do so. 
These people are working to start and grow increasingly complex businesses that generate unprecedented amount of wealth in short periods of time. And I think within two decades, I don't want to make a prediction because I, I'm fair to bet a lot of my predictions from the NFT podcast are, are wildly off now about six years later. But um, people do believe that there will be a billion dollar publicly traded entities that are DAOs with only one or, or no employees on the roster. So yeah, that's where we've, where we've been and uh, potentially where we're going. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think one thing to emphasize here on the historical trajectory is, it, you know, it's, in, it's incredible how much DAOs have grown, as you mentioned in, in, in recent months, but it is still uh, early days in terms of the level of maturity of the DAO um, space. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, some of the tooling, as we discussed, the communication tooling and other, you know, voting uh, tooling and, and how to conduct voting efficiently, you know, these are still being developed. And the security side of things, I just want to also underscore, particularly for those who are um, new to crypto, is also something that's new. You know, we mentioned uh, the, the DAO hack from 2016. Um, some academic colleagues and I, we wrote a little a paper on that as, uh, a few years back. Uh, and it just, it, it underscores how with anything new in the crypto space, uh, you know, a lot of this technology is being battle tested in real time, uh, you know, live on the internet where it can be attacked, uh, tested, um, compromised. And we've seen some notable, unfortunately, some notable uh, vulnerabilities exposed that have led to loss of funds for individuals. So this is the kind of, you know, point in the podcast where we do our kind of, you know, disclaimer warning that, you know, this is early, early stage and, and you want to be careful when you're entering into something new that's still pretty in the early days, especially uh, around how much, say, funds you would put at risk uh, into, in, into anything in general, but in, in the DAO space as well. Just something to keep in mind that, uh, you know, when things are automated, especially, uh, you know, things can happen very quickly that can surprise, uh, you know, people who come together to form DAOs and, and there could be, could be loss of funds. And unfortunately we've seen that on, on a few occasions. Um, so do we want to, uh, G Clay talk a bit more about some of the other different, um, forms of DAOs? Uh, you know, we, we've covered some of these, uh, you know, uh, but, but there's a few other, I feel like we haven't touched on quite yet in terms of, uh, what types of things DAOs can do. Uh, is that, is that a good, good, good next kind of topic? Yes, I think so. And, and to kind of preface this, I think it's important to distinguish between kind of two overarching categories of DAOs. On one hand, we have the pure protocol or algorithmic DAOs. And then on the other hand, we have community DAOs, also sometimes called social or member-run DAOs. In the first instance, protocol DAOs are often much more autonomous by which I mean their operations can be automated to a much higher degree using smart contracts. Whereas community and social DAOs by comparison more closely resemble the concept of cooperatives or self-managing organizations, which have been around in, in different shapes and forms for some time now. And these community DAOs are decentralized groups of individuals who share in the governance decisions of their organization through the use of governance tokens and then decentralize their labor contributions toward the overall mission of the DAO. I think the majority of the remainder of this conversation, I'm gonna be referencing these community, social and member DAOs because this is where we're starting to see the most growth as well as the, the quick emergence of new types of use cases and, and kind of a clever, clever applications of this technology to different industries. 
Um, so really quickly, running through a couple different types. We've got protocol DAOs, we've got grants DAOs, investment DAOs, which are similar to grant DAOs. We've got service DAOs, media DAOs, and then a whole array of miscellaneous DAOs tackling all sorts of different things. So let's give a few examples of that to make it more concrete. Protocol DAOs, as we've been talking about, they aim to transfer power away from a core founding team into the hands of a community. This community is then used to govern protocol updates to the technology. And some of the big protocol DAOs are probably ones that uh, your listeners are familiar with, Uniswap, MakerDAO, Aave, and Curve. And then moving on to grants and investment DAOs. These are kind of two similar use cases. Grants and investments were really the first primary use case for DAOs and grant DAOs allow their communities to gather funds and use the DAO to vote on capital allocation to various contributors and projects. These votes happen in the form of governance proposals and demonstrate the ability and agility of niche communities compared to traditional organizations when funding emerging technologies. And I think the best example of this is Gitcoin DAO. They provide grants for the development of public goods, but there are also things like near grants from the near protocol and foundation to encourage developers to build on their protocol, rareable grants from the NFT marketplace giant to incentivize content creators to host on their marketplace, Aave grants for developers contributing to Aave's decentralized financial ecosystem, and many, many more. Investment DAOs, similarly, are communities that act as decentralized angel investors or venture capitalists that pool funds to invest in early stage projects that need funding. They allow members to invest large sums of capital with low barriers to entry. And some prominent examples include the LAO, L-A-O, which is a group of Ethereum enthusiasts who have pooled capital or ETH, Ethereum, to fund promising projects being built on Ethereum. Some others include Seed Club, which gives both investment and grants and acts almost like a Web3 or blockchain incubator for crypto startups. Next, we've got service DAOs. Now we're starting to get more into the area of these um, community social uh, membership DAOs that I, I distinguished. And the idea with service DAOs is, you know, as we have more pure protocol DAOs emerging, we need service providers to act as decentralized talent allocators to help service them, right? So service DAOs allocate individuals with various skill sets within various pods or, or guilds wherever they're needed most. And a good example of this is Raid Guild, which is a decentralized Web3 product shop that offers things like design and marketing services to other DAO startups. Another good example is LexDAO, they're a decentralized group of lawyers that are building next generation legal contracts for DAOs to use. Moving on, we've got media DAOs. Media DAOs like Bankless and Forefront are essentially crypto capitalized content publishers that are transitioning from the traditional subscription-based business models to tokenized ones. They recruit talent to produce newsletters, webinars, research, marketing materials, podcasts, and, and much more. My own firm, Penrose, which is a, a Web3 advisory firm, we do startup consulting. We're starting to do research and, and experiment with what it might look like to have a, uh, a DAO arm that does all of our content production, right? Like places where we can post bids and have communities of designers, writers, copywriters, videographers, 
execute on the work that needs to be done and be rewarded for it without ever interacting or engaging with our actual business. And then we've got this big bucket of uncategorized and miscellaneous DAOs. And a lot of people today, I think, are kind of complaining or criticizing that people are really stretching the, the definition of DAOs, which in my opinion, given the stage of the you know, maturity cycle that we're in, is okay. Like, I don't think we're going to have an exact definition of how centralized or decentralized a DAO needs to be to classify as a DAO. And you know, a good example of this is a DAO that I'm a, a core contributor to. I know some will, will you know, take, uh, take offense at it being called a DAO um, because it's not fully decentralized, but the one line or two line pitch here is uh, for a group called HODL Pack. And HODL Pack is essentially using DAO tools and DAO methodologies to fundraise crypto donations and direct them to pro-crypto political candidates for the US Congress. And you know, we, much like these other DAOs, operate through a Discord where our donors are awarded governance tokens that they then can use to cast votes and determine where our matching pool of funds through a quadratic funding mechanism amplifies small dollar donations. And this is just one example of kind of a clever or, or, or unique patchwork or, or application of DAOs to a traditional organization, i.e. a PAC, a political action committee. So I think we're gonna, over the next couple of years, start seeing more and more creative applications for DAOs. And another big area that I'm really excited about is this field of impact DAOs that are working on regenerative finance. These people are using DAOs to fund public goods and combat against climate change by doing things like using their funds to offset uh, carbon emissions through the purchase of carbon credits like we're seeing uh, climb a DAO do. That's just one example. Great. Yeah, just to, because we're, we're about to run out of time, I think it's important that we just, you know, finish on, you know, some of the additional risks surrounding DAOs because, you know, we've gotten people really excited about DAOs as kind of the you know, the future of organizations and, and work potentially, but there are, as we, we touched on briefly a little bit ago, some risks, there's technical risks with the, the technology uh, being still in an early stage of development. There's other risks as well. And, uh, we, you know, it's important, I think, to make sure people are aware of, of some of those risks. So, so what are some of the, the key areas still um, that are, are being kind of worked out on the, on the risk front that people who are new to DAO should be aware of? Sure, and I just want to go on record by saying that I, I, I completely agree with you. DAOs still are very immature. They can be very risky. Nothing I've said today is financial or legal advice. I'm not a lawyer or a financial advisor. And while I am very excited about the applications that DAOs present, they have a lot of work to do to you know, really replace the efficiency of tools and structures that we have today. As you say, uh, technical is probably one of the big ones. Almost every week we see a new headline about a, a DAO hack or a DeFi hack and vulnerabilities in the actual tech of these platforms. But beyond that, I think the biggest risk or challenge are uh, legal and regulatory challenges. Notably, DAOs lack any formal legal recognition, which creates liabilities for DAO members and exposes them to the organization's liabilities and responsibilities. 
DAOs remain outside traditional legal systems and limiting, which then limits the ability of DAOs to either transact or enter into contracts with traditional enterprises. And a long-standing benefit of creating a legal entity, whether a corporation, uh, a partnership, is the ability to protect a person, a individual's personal assets from an organization's owners and creditors. So DAOs by default do not enjoy these benefits because the legal system does not recognize these structures. Similarly, relationships with employees and contractors are relatively straightforward when you have an entity through which you can contract, but much more complicated when you don't. So, you know, until DAOs are, are have, have the have the footing that they need in our, in our legal and regulatory frameworks, they're gonna to continue to encounter challenges. Now that said, there is some progress being made on this front. Uh, most US states currently as it stands would treat DAOs as a, a partnership under, under common law, which would expose a participant's personal assets to, the, to a DAO's lawsuit or settlements in, um, in, a, in a liability case. However, Wyoming has introduced the Wyoming DAO law, which formalizes protection for DAO developers by prohibiting lawsuits against DAOs as general partnerships, as well as enforcing the rights of DAOs as legal persons in state court. Also in Vermont, uh, the Vermont state, le state legislature has passed an amendment to the state's limited liability company statute, which would allow a limited liability company to designate itself as a blockchain-based LLC. And this specifically empowers blockchain-based LLCs to provide for its governance, and I quote, in whole or in part through blockchain technology, i.e. they're recognizing smart contracts as foundational corporate documents. And I think a fun fact, especially with regards to, to Wyoming being the, the, you know, at the forefront of DAOs, is that Wyoming was the first state in the United States that passed laws that legally recognized limited liability corporations or LLCs back in 1977. So we can see that you know, Wyoming legislature has been attracting business to its jurisdiction by making it easier for new types of entities to conduct business within their state. Now, legal and regulation is just one of the many challenges. The other is this debate around centralization versus decentralization. DAO governance systems are getting complicated and the process and systems by which community members and contributors make decisions and vote through governance can be designed with different payoffs, as I mentioned earlier. And I think people in Web3 kind of fail to acknowledge this debate around decentralization that has happened in other industries and, and, and verticals such as politics, philosophy, economics, and other social sciences for a long time and often spend a lot of time trying to reinvent the wheel from scratch when you know, we've been weighing the pros and cons, whether it be with efficiency and speed to equity and fairness with regards to centralization, decentralization, really since uh, humanity started organizing itself in any way. Really quickly, another two big challenges are incentive mechanisms, right? Related to the question of decentralization is the challenge of incentivizing contributors to actually work on a project without a safe or standardized salary and labor laws that protect them from their employer, give them basic rights and ensure that they keep showing up to work every day, right? 
Um, for many DAOs, incentive mechanisms are skewed right now in favor of so-called whales or people who have much larger ownership stakes and financial investments in the DAO. And it goes without saying that you know, a member of only $50 worth of governance tokens will operate much differently than a member with 50,000 worth. And the latter will also have much more sway in the organization. So there's a lot of work being done to make the decision-making process more equitable and democratic. Finally, the last big bucket of challenges is kind of what I bucket as DAO growing pains. This is stuff that is just required for, a, for an organization to function, whether it be proper and smooth onboarding processes, easy ways to do uh, tax, payroll, and accounting, and then a lot of the issues around voter apathy that we talked about earlier and making sure that your community members, i.e. like your core contributors and employees in a sense, actually are informed, educated, and able to conduct in the governance of your organization. So Great. Well, thank you very much, G. Clay, for this uh, comprehensive uh, introduction to DAOs. Where can people who want to learn more about DAOs, yourself, Penrose, go? Yes, uh, this was a pretty high-level overview, but I love talking about this. So if anyone wants to chat, please reach out to me on Twitter. You can find me at G underscore Clay underscore Miller. And you can also reach out to me at g.clay at Penrose Partners or visit the Penrose website at penrosepartners.com. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please rate us and leave a review as it really helps boost our visibility to more listeners. Also, if you have a topic you'd like to see us cover, please get in touch at the following email address, podcast at blockchain.com. Once again, that's podcast at blockchain.com.